We're going to continue our series on worship this morning. The Tabernacle of David. And some of the aspects of the Tabernacle of David are things that we don't even, haven't even really discovered completely yet. And I think there are things about worship that we're always learning and always finding out about. And uh, so we, want, we, we, we constantly want to learn and grow in our, in our whole understanding of worship, and not only our understanding of worship, but our expression of worship too. We need to grow in our, our understanding and in our, the way that we worship. And probably the most significant aspect of worship is getting it to every part of our lives. Not just Sunday when we have special meetings, but to be worshipers all the time. All the time. All the time. And I, so that we see things from God's perspective. And it really isn't an interesting concept or interesting idea to think about what would happen to us if every one of us always had God's perspective on everything that, that goes on around us. Because circumstances have a way of grabbing us and yanking us into the here and now so that we see things from a human perspective. But to stay in that place where we see things from God's perspective, from God's perspective, he's always loving, he's always kind, he's always good. And that's what he wants for us to all, always have in mind. But when we give in to fear, anxiety, worry, doubt because of the things that happen, then we're, we're, we've left the place where we need to be. And we try to attack our, our issues, problems, difficulties, circumstances from a human perspective anyway. We're going to talk about something this morning when, about David bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God's presence, into Jerusalem. You know, the Ark of the Covenant had never been in Jerusalem until David brought it. It had been to other cities in the, in the nation of Israel, but never been in Jerusalem. Because David was actually the, the person who conquered Jerusalem and actually took full control of the city of Jerusalem. They had had pieces of it, but never completely had the whole city. So David eventually was the one who who conquered the city, and then he wants to bring the ark into, the, into Jerusalem. He wants God's presence with him all the time. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, we're going to read some verses, and I'm going to read through some of these very quickly because it's a little bit tedious, but I want to give you a, an, an impression of how he did this. David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And then here's, here's who David assembled. Now, this was, this was no small undertaking. It wasn't like they made an announcement and the next week they had this kind of celebration. This was a really, like, ostentatious display, demonstration of, of Israel's glory and all of the people that David brought in. I want you to think about like this major production, okay? It was more like that rather than just mobs of people. Then David assembled, see, that word assembled, put these things together. 
He assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites, the sons of Kohath, Uriel the chief, and 120 of his brethren. Okay, 120. Of the sons of Merari, Azaiah the chief, and 220 of his brethren. Of the sons of Gershom, Joel the chief, and 130 of his brethren. Of the sons of Elizaphan and Shemaiah the chief, 200 of his brethren. Of the sons of Hebron, Eliel the chief, 80 of his brethren. And the sons of Uziel, Aminadab the chief, and 112 of his brethren. So, so those are just the priests. So he's getting priests together to carry the ark. What they did the last time is they put the ark on a cart. We talked about that. They put the ark on a cart. The oxen stumbled, and Uzzah put his hand on the, on the ark and died. So David did a little bit of research and found out that the priests, ah, oh, duh, the priests are supposed to carry the ark. Now, the, the ark was, was wood overlaid with gold. It might have been rather heavy. They had long poles, gold-covered poles carry it. How far can a group of priests carry the ark before they're worn out and they need replacements? I don't know, you know? I don't know how heavy that thing is. The, uh, the angels on the top and the, and the mercy seat were solid gold. How heavy is gold? Kind of heavy. So imagine they had different shifts, people taking over to carry the ark. So that's why I have all these Levites, and they're all Levites to make sure that nothing bad happens. So they have that. Verse 11, and David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priest and for the Levites. Did I read that already? No, I didn't. Uh, and he said, verse 12, and he said to them, you are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I prepared for. Now, what does that mean to sanctify themselves? If you read in Leviticus how when they dedicated the, the tabernacle in the wilderness under Moses, the priests had to go to the place where, it, where the priests would go. They would wash them with water, then they would put undergarments on them, then the linen cloak, and then all the other things for the priests, and that was how they went through the process of sanctification. There are actually sacrifices that they made too. So he's telling the priests, listen, <laughs> let's not mess this up this time, okay? Let's do the process. So let's get, you guys get ready. Whatever the book of the law, the law Moses gave you, you go through that process, sanctify yourself so you're ready to carry the glory of the presence of God into Jerusalem. And so that's what they did. Verse 13, For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So they didn't just get rid of the ark and carry it. They got themselves ready. Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals by raising the voice with resounding joy. Resounding joy. I'll talk about that in a minute. Resounding joy just doesn't mean loud. It's resounding. The way we read the Psalms, the way that we read Psalms is like you just read straight through it. Like, I'm done. That's not the way they did the Psalms. Somebody would sing the first line and the people would respond and sing the same line again. And then they'd sing the second line and then people would respond and sing the second line. And then go back and start over again. And it was this back and forth kind of thing. You see, we're, we're very logical people in our culture because of the Enlightenment and because of mathematics has taken such a strong... Uh, um, 
influence in our, in our culture, Pythagoras and all those people that, whether that has anything to do with anything, I don't know. But anyway, because of the way we think, everything's like, so when we do worship songs, verse one, chorus, verse two, chorus, verse three, chorus, then we do a bridge, then well, let's do the chorus again, and it's this bump, 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 bump. But the Jewish folks didn't do that. It was, it was this antiphonal back and forth, um, follow the leader kind of, here we go, we'll sing this, you sing it back. And that's what resounding is. Resounding joy. They were having a party. What are they going to sing? What, 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 what are we going to have to repeat so you'd hear this line and then you'd sing it? They didn't have like jumbotrons. Anyway, okay. One word. Too much time on one word. Verse 17. So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and of his brethren, Asaph, the son of Berechiah, and of their brethren, the sons of Merari, Ethan, the son of Cushiah, and with them their brethren of the second rank, Zechariah, Ben, Jeziel, Shemeramoth. I like these names. Jehiel, Uni, Eliah, Benaiah, Messiah, Mattathiah, Eliphalah, Mekaniah, Obed-Edom. I always like that name. There's some Jewish names that are just fun to say, Obed-Edom. And I always like this place, Lodabar. I always like Lodabar. Anyway, it has nothing to do with anything. Um, it's just fun to say, Jael, Azaziah, to direct the harps on the Sheminith. Chenaniah, leader of the Levites, was instructor in charge of the music because he was skillful. Berechiah and Elkanah were doorkeepers for the ark. Shebaniah, Joshaphat. Nethanel, Amasiah, Zechariah, Benaiah, Eliezer, the priests were to blow the trumpets before the ark of God, and Obed-Edom and Jehah, doorkeepers of the ark. So you have all these people. So I'm, what, the reason that I read all that is that you understand this was a massive group of people. There were a lot of instruments. Not, now, see, these weren't the only guys that had the instruments. These were the guys that were in charge of the musicians. They had a lot of musicians. These guys were just, they organized their groups so that they all worked together. So there was a lot of rehearsing that went on and preparation. And so you have, all, you have all these different instruments. Now, somebody has said that every instrument that we know today, you can find in the Bible. The, the basic instrument was in the Bible. So David had all the instruments. And obviously, they didn't have electric guitars, but they had stringed instruments. They had reed instruments. They had woodwind. They had... The trumpets, although they were made of silver, they weren't necessarily brass. And then they had the shofars as well. They had silver trumpets for blowing different times, and they also had shofars, which were animal horns. And so they had that. And so they're getting ready. Now, David had kind of done this before the first time they brought the ark up. Tried to bring the ark up. He had all the musicians, and he had the Levites there, and they tried to do it. But it didn't work because Uzzah died. But they were still doing the celebration. He had written a psalm, and we're going to look at it in a minute. Psalm 24 was a psalm of ascents, which is a psalm of going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a high hill, so everybody, whenever they talk about going to Jerusalem, let's go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem wasn't in the north. It was just up on a mountain. And the only way you get there was to go up the mountain to get to Jerusalem. So it was a psalm of ascent that, that David was going to write, but that he wrote and that they were going to sing while they're carrying the ark. But they're not going to do it the way they did the first time. They're going to have the priest carry it. It's not going to be on a cart. So sometimes you're doing a lot of things right, but there's just one thing that's wrong. 
with what you're doing? You ever, you ever find that out? You don't just throw everything away because one thing was wrong? Um, example of that, you know, we all hear about Mary and Martha, how that when Jesus came, Mary just sat at Jesus' feet and Martha was busy with preparation and, and Martha goes and complains to Jesus and said, you know, what? Why are you letting my sister just sit here? I'm doing all the work and she's not doing anything and Jesus said, she's chosen a better thing. Later on, you find out that Jesus comes back and guess what? Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha's still serving. But there's no issue because one thing changed, Martha's heart. She was serving. She was still doing what she has been created to do, but she's doing it with the right attitude, with the right heart, because that's the way God made her, made her servant. And Mary was more of a worshiper, like just sit at his feet. So it's okay. So you don't throw everything out. You just get rid of what's wrong, and you correct what's, what's wrong. So anyway, David understood. He's still going to celebrate, but we're going to have the priest carry. Okay, so let's go to verse, uh, Psalm 24. Let me take a breath and just try not to rush. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Now, I don't know how they were singing that. The world and those who dwell in it, for he's founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. And then, he, then David, think, I think in this psalm, gets to the, to the line that he wanted everybody to, to understand where, where he wanted to uh, start um, getting to the theme of it. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who, or who may stand in his holy place? So just imagine people are out there, and the instruments are playing, and trumpets are blaring, and then the chorus, the choir, starts singing. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And the people respond, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Who may stand in his holy place? So they're walking to Jerusalem, and they're singing this song, Who may ascend? Who may stand? And they're repeating that again and again, and it's building this sense of anticipation. Well, who? Who is who? And so as they're walking along... They're, they're singing this, and, they're, they're, and the way that they did the psalms, they repeated things a lot. You know, sometimes charismatic churches kind of get picked on because how many times can you sing hallelujah and it means anything? You know, like when you get in these times of worship where you're just singing the same thing over and over again. And uh, people that don't understand worship make fun of that. We'll talk about people that make fun of worship in a little bit. And then, then I, I heard somebody say that one time, and I'm thinking, man, one of your favorite songs is the Hallelujah Chorus. How many times can you sing Hallelujah? You know, Handel's Messiah. Well, my goodness, that's an amazing song. I mean, come on. Anyway. <laughs> and then the response comes, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. And so they're repeating that over and over again. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And so I wonder if there isn't as... and It wasn't just the people that David assembled and the singers and the, the priests and the Levites and all that, but everybody... And so everybody's hearing this. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may dwell in his holy place? 
He has clean hands and a pure heart. So you begin to think about what kind of impact is that having on people when they're singing this song and having all this time as they're walking and they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem, thinking about the holiness of God and singing these things that, who, do I qualify? Do I have clean hands and a pure heart? And so they're making their way up the mountain, up the road. He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Okay, so um, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. God, see, all of this is in, for us, it's all in reference to the tabernacle of David and restoring the kind of worship that God wants, to rest, wants us to restore. The tabernacle of David, that 24-7 worship. There's something about the kind of worship that God's looking for that doesn't involve dirty hands and a defiled heart. And, it, and he, I believe that God's going to raise up a generation of worshipers that will come with clean hands, pure heart, will come with, with no self-promotion. Do you know what I mean, self-promotion? Music business is really big in self-promotion. Worship needs to be the opposite. It needs to be laying down our lives being a servant. And so the funny thing is when, you're, when you think about this, think of the priests and Levites are carrying uh, the ark, the singers and musicians are singing and the people are responding and there's a song, singing going back and forth. And David had gotten a linen ephod. He had gotten actually a priest's garment and he put that on and he's dancing before the Lord with all his might. David is just going crazy. Um... He really is. He's just, he just, he just, he, he's, he's the king. He's the king. And he's just giving it everything he's got. And I don't know how far it was. Some people say seven or eight miles. Um, do you know in one of the accounts back in Second, Second Samuel, I think it is, it said that they would go six, six steps and then offer a sacrifice. Six steps offer a sacrifice. So some of the priests may have been giving, making sacrifices. And I don't know if that was every six steps or, or they just stopped every six steps because that's the, as far as humanity can go, as far as man can go in his flesh, stop, worship the Lord. You know, there's all these ideas in all that. And David is just dancing and praising the Lord. He's just, he wants to bring the glory. Of, he's so passionate about bringing the glory of God into Jerusalem. And so they work their way up and they come, they come to, the, to the gates of Jerusalem they're ready to go into the city. They've been singing this song, half of this psalm up to this point. And you get to the end of verse 6. It says, this is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. We're the ones that are praising him and worshiping him. And we're coming before him with pure hearts. And then it says, Selah. Pause. 
everything gets quiet. And so you have all this mass of people come up to the gates and everything stops. Like, now what do we do? <laughs> I hope they have a plan. And one trumpet plays from the top of the wall. Trumpet blast. However they go. And then somebody, the choir down outside the city goes, starts singing, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. And the people repeat that. Lift up your head, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. And so they sing that several times. And then there's people on the walls, and they answer back, who is this king of glory? <laughs> they sing that. Who is this king of glory? Can you picture this going on? I mean, we read the Psalms like, oh, that's really a good psalm. But when it comes to life in this kind of way, it's a whole different dynamic. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And everybody is listening to this, and they're, they're worshiping him, and they're coming up, and they're realizing it's the king of glory coming into his city. You see what worship is supposed to do, what worship is, intending to, intend, is intended to do is to bring into the earth realm the king of glory. But who may ascend his holy hill? Who may dwell in a holy place? And so this singing is going back and forth and back and forth. And the people are like, oh, let's get him in the city. <laughs> you know, I think let's get this, this, the glory of God into the city. Verse 9, lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. And then the response from the, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. Who's the Lord of hosts? Not the king of glory, but who's the Lord of hosts? When did Scripture talk about the Lord of hosts before in Scripture? There was this guy named Joshua who was about to overtake Jericho, and he's out walking around, and he sees this soldier. He sees this guy with armor, with a sword. And he challenges him. He says, are you on my side or are you on their side? He says, I'm on neither side. I'm the captain, the host of the armies of the Lord. And so Joshua, what does Joshua do? He gets on his face. He gets on his face and he worships because it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus on earth. It's a, it's a Christophany. Gets on his face and worships, and Jesus allows him to worship, and Jesus says, take your sandals off because the ground you're on is holy. It's holy ground. And so he worships him, and then Jesus gives him instructions, says, walk around the city seven days, walk around the city one time, six, six days, walk around the city one time, seventh day, go around seven times, and then shout, seven, seven. What's with seven? Seven's, seven is... is the number for God's perfection, it's completion, it's, it's a number of different things. But you know what else seven is? Seven is the number of notes in a scale. 
Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti. And then the eighth one is do. Starts over again. That's one. So there's seven notes in a scale. So there's music in that. <laughs> Going around the city seven times. Seven times. It's the symbol of perfection again and of, of, of God, the Godhead. And so you have that whole, that whole concept of all these things tying together. Worship. Worship is so critical to bringing in the presence of God. Heart worship. Heart worship. And then we come to verse 29. And it says, as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, they finally opened up the gates. They finally responded to those cries. Lift up your heads, O ye ancient gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. They finally opened the gates. And they go in. And as the Ark of the Covenant was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, David's wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. Do you know what? We do things here in worship, different things in worship. Sometimes it's a little crazy. Not too bad. Not not too out there, but, you know. But we understand it. But people, sometimes when they come in from the outside, we look weird to them, right? We look strange, right? But when you're in it, it's not strange at all. If you're worshiping God, celebrating, jumping up and down, or waving a flag, or clapping, or shouting, or laying on your face, that's not weird to you because, because there's something of the Spirit of God that's motivating you, moving you to do something. But somebody that has no understanding of what you're doing, it looks weird. And it's okay to look weird. Michael looks out and she sees her husband, the king, half naked, jumping around like an idiot. And she says... Well, back in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from this house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You understand that the flesh despises real worship? (laughs) Do you know why it's really important to um, overcome your flesh and worship, and why God calls us to express worship with our bodies as well as with our voices in so many different ways. Despising worship makes you unfruitful. She had no children the rest of her life. David looked like a dunce so the king of glory could come in. Did you know there was a... There was a... a a practice in, in old days if one, one nation would conquer another one and they would take the king of the conquered land and they would strip him naked and put him in chains and he, they would parade him down the main street of the city to show that they had defeated this other country. And here's the king, this guy that was so proud and egotistical. Look at him, completely humiliated. And what's David doing? Dancing like crazy man 
half naked before the Lord. He's the king of Israel bowing before the king of glory. It's that kind of humility in worship that God's looking for. It's that kind, not to be crazy, but to say, listen, I'm nothing. I am nothing before the king of glory. David said, I will be even more undignified for him. My humiliation means nothing because he deserves all the glory. See, Jesus, Jesus was another one. See, this is, this, Jesus is the king of glory. And yet when he hung on the cross, he was completely naked, completely humiliated, dying in our place. And it says he went to hell and he took captivity captive. He released those that were in captivity. He took over captivity and released, set, set slaves free. The king of glory. The king of glory. <laughs> we are called to worship our God. And there is a kind of worship that brings his presence. And it's worship that is unfettered. It's worship that is not at all, not at all, not at all looking at ourselves, but looking at the, the object of our worship, the King of glory. And I believe that's the key, that's the secret, is to really be able to just forget about ourselves and worship. Lift him up. And so they brought the ark into Jerusalem and put it in the tent that David had pitched so that God's presence would be there continually. <laughs> he, wanted God, he wanted the blessing that came from God's presence. So as we learn to worship, as we are challenged, as we challenge ourselves to be worshipers, we will welcome the presence of God, not only here, but in our lives personally, more and more. More of his presence through our heartfelt worship as we, as we lay down our lives before him. But God wants to do a little bit more, well, a lot more. He wants to raise up a generation of worshipers who understand these concepts and are not in it for themselves. They're not in it to make a name for themselves. They're not in it to sell a bunch of CDs or music or not why they do it. They do it because there's something inside of them that will die if they don't release worship to him. There's something in them that has to get out. And to lift up the name of Jesus. They've just got to do it. They have to do it. Worship. And so as we go to a time of worship this morning, just a little bit, um, we are welcoming the King of Glory into this place. Consciously, we need to be aware of that. 
Lift up. Your heads are your ancient gates. Lift up your ancient doors so that the king of glory may come in. My heart attitude welcomes the king.